Did you see one of Sass's most recent videos where it says we need to talk about Hunt Ethelar? Are you just like goading me right now? Of course I've seen it. Did it break my heart? Yes. Am I going to pretend like it doesn't exist? Yes. Oh, so then I'm going to talk about it? I guess. Hi, I'm Olivia. And I'm Kelly, and this is a Court of Theories podcast, where we deep dive all things Akatar, Throne of Glass, and Crescent City. This podcast contains spoilers. Okay, so just this real, so it's first things first, Hunt's nickname translates to the shadow of death. So the Umber Mortis literally means the shadow of death. We know this. So during his assassination process, his inner monologue uses some pretty interesting wording that he was nothing but a shadow. And so it says, please, the male had done horrible things, unspeakable things. He deserved this, deserved worse. Please, 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 please. Hunt was nothing but a shadow, a wisp of life, an instrument of death. He was nothing and no one at all. Please, Hunt's finger curled on the trigger. And then Dorian, when he was infected by the Valg, it was ancient and cruel and paced in the shadows. Caltaine, when she was infected by the Volg, the dress was barely more than cobwebs and shadows. Irene running away from the Volg in the Torre Sesme library, glimpses of shadows and darkness stalking her, hunting her. Every passage has the word shadow in it, just in case you missed it. Okay. I know you're mad. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that assassination, this line is also very interesting. Please... It was always the same word, the only word people tended to say when the umber mortis stood before them. Through the blood splattered, though. I would just like to point out that in House of Sky and Breath, the word shadow is said 125 times. So, I mean, if you want to link those four instances together, that's fine. But there's 121 other instances in just one book that you could also do it. So I'm willing to fight you. Are you disproving a point or proving a point? disproving okay through the blood splattered on his helmet hunt regarded the male cougar shifter cowering before him his clawed hands shook as he left them appraised please the man sobbed and so speaking of that assassination this line is also very interesting please it was always the same word the only word people tended to say when the umber mortis stood before them isn't it interesting that danica's last words were please please and how angry Hunt gets at that recording, demanding that it be turned off. Danica was begging, sobbing as she pleaded for mercy, wept and screamed for it to stop. Turn it off. Hunt ordered stalking from the room. Turn it off now. Is he, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look that up. Isn't it also interesting that the first time we meet Hunt, we meet him through Isaiah's POV rather than his own. And then we get into Aelin describing the reek of the Vogue in TOG. She scowled at the reek of the stairwell. Gods, it stunk. And isn't it strange that the reek in the stairwell of Bryce and Danica's apartment sounds a hell of a lot like a Vogue. And then Aelin describing the reek of the Vogue had been in her parents' bedroom the morning after they'd been murdered. Okay, about Hunt telling her to telling them to shut off the video thing. Victoria is reading Bryce's message al- messages aloud. And Hunt says, this isn't relevant. Pull in Victoria. We have our orders. That's Isaiah saying that. Hunt says, fuck the orders. That woman is about to break and not in a good way. So then that's when they start playing 
the thing. No, she's still reading them, maybe. Bryce stares at the screen unblinkingly, her torn face sickeningly pale. And then Victoria's like, shall I play the footage? You know, she kind of deserved that whole box in the bottom of the ocean thing. (laughs) So then Hunt makes a comment that she's like breaking. And that's when he's like, turn it off now. Just saying. I mean, I'm, I'm just reading you what... All right. And then many have theorized that the reek of the Vog is the Cristalos demon in Crescent City. But isn't it so interesting that the next time we meet the demon again, there is absolutely no mention of this reek in chapter 46. The Cristalos slammed into Hunt with the force of an SUV. Bryce knew he only had enough time to either draw a weapon or shove her out of the way. And Hunt chose her. So anyway. So then why wouldn't Hunt stink? No, no, man. I'm just reading you. And then someone says, okay, so this is M. Louise 13 in the comments says, do me a favor, double check the descriptions of the Cristalos venom in CC1. Every single Cristalos victim has clear venom in their system, but when Hunt gets bitten, Bryce describes it as silvery slime. She says, I have suspicions as to why, but they are long. And then Sass is like, Nasus, you got to tell us now. So we're reading this blind. I have no idea what this says. But- Say the first part again. Okay. It says, do me a favor, double check the descriptions of the Cristalos venom in CC1. Every single Cristalos victim has clear venom in their system, but when Hunt gets bitten, Bryce describes it as silvery slime. I have suspicions as to why, but they are long. All right, and so it says, the victims with clear venom are Bryce, and the bodies Therian found dumped in the river. Is a Cristalos really going to dump a body in the river, by the way? One of the bodies Therian found they deduced was det- was attacked on the same day Bryce and Hunt were. So I double check and Hunt got a phone call to, quote, help Isaiah with another case that same day. But it was weird because the next paragraph, he was just back at the gallery. Page 427, if you want to see what I mean. It's literally, hey, I've got to go, to a few hours later, Hunt was back in the gallery. Seemed like such a random thing to include. So it just makes me sus that the only Cristalos attack we actually saw we know had silver venom. Yes, Bryce thinks she fought a Cristalos in the alley that night, but she also said that people she passed in the street were having their faces twisted into something grotesque and primordial as a side effect of the drugs. So who's to really say what it was? And the behavior of the Cristalos was off too. Bryce hits it with a table leg and it shrieks and runs away. The one that attacks Hunt gets stabbed more than once and it just keeps coming. And when she asks Micah about the Cristalos the night he frowns at her, maybe because it wasn't a Cristalos? Oh, and when she's attacked later after losing her amulet, they make a point of saying she was only clawed, not bitten. Would have been easy enough for her to get a medwitch if she'd been beaten. <laughs> beaten. Bitten. <laughs> well, she also been beaten. I think Sarah made sure... She wasn't bitten because at this point she would have recognized the venom was different. The case with Hunt earlier was before the venom got removed from her leg, so she wouldn't have known yet. So I'm thinking the victims with clear venom, including Bryce, are actually victims of Hunt, not the Cristalos. And then someone says, I think that the reek is actually the summoning salts, and you smell it at the apartment because that was where the demon was summoned. I've also been wondering if the summoning salt is similar to a ground up word stone because it has the ability to open the rift and bring demons through and is described as an obsidian salt and it reeks when Bryce purchases it at the meat market. I thought that was interesting. Bryce is like looking over 
Well, th- this was the synth, though. They didn't realize it was the synth. Bryce held up the photos. These wounds aren't the same. The Crystallos wanted to get you to, at your heart, your organs, not turn you into a heap. Danica, the pack of devils, Tertian, the acolyte, the temple guard, none of them had wounds like this, and none of them had this venom in their system. Hunt just blinked at her. Bryce's voice cracked. What if something else came through? What if the Crystallos was summoned to look for the horn, but something worse was also there that night? If you had the power to summon the Crystallos, why not summon multiple types of demons? And Hunt's like, I can't even think of a demon that demolishes the victims like that. We have talked about that, the possibility of Hunt being controlled by the Asteri, right? Because with him having the ability to like, quote unquote, hunt these demons. He says, if the Crystallos killed this dryad, killed these people whose bodies washed into the river through the sewers, then why summon two kinds of demons? The Crystallos is already lethal as hell, literally. Bryce threw up her hands. I have no idea, but if everything we know about Danica's death is wrong, then we need to figure out how she died. We need someone who can weigh in. That's anyways. I just thought it was interesting that Bryce is like, what if something else came through? Mm -hmm. There's something else or someone else. I just really fucking don't want it to be hunt. I don't want it to be hunt either. I just find these theories like this. and these point outs are fascinating, but like them saying that when it bites hunt, it's silvery, Mm -hmm. but everyone else is clear. To me, that doesn't mean that Hunt was the one that did everyone else. To me, that's like, what is Hunt that that Venom, that Venom, Jesus, <laughs> that, that Venom turned silver with mixed with his body, but not anybody well, else's. Well, the thing is, is that we didn't, we haven't actually, is what it they the lightning? Said, well, from what they said is that we hadn't actually seen, truly seen the Cristalos bite somebody besides Hunt. So like none of these other people. That's the point is that what Bryce was, was Bryce was not Bryce's leg. I thought it was like, well, but it had wrapped around. It had been in there and I don't know, but I don't know. I just think it's interesting I, at this point being this close. I mean, we're 25 days away as far as this recording goes. And by the time that this episode comes out, we're going to be like less than two weeks away. So, I mean, it's just, it, it, they're just theories. Huh? We got a whole show about them. What are you looking at? That you're so intently. This says that the blood of the Crystallos was clear. The severed head tumbled away. Hunt moved again and the head split in half, then quarters. Another plunge into the hateful heart was skewered too. Clear blood leaked everywhere like a spilled vial of serum. Ew. I don't like that. It says serum, not semen. I know, but. (laughs) I know that's what you were thinking. (laughs) I just don't like it. Shoulder was gushing blood. So was his forearm blood and some sort of silvery slime she knew the burn of that slime like living fire what nothing i just was just letting you wrap up your your intense hunt (laughs) anyways while you're mulling over that do you want to hear what creature brain thinks that the god slayer rifle is right after i watched this tiktok this is Cassidy underscore naturally on TikTok. She's mm-hmm. got a line. I'm looking for the hunt venom thing, of course. But she's got a line highlighted. She says, this disturbs me so much. This is Hunt going back to the comedian to get his stuff. And it says, Hunt tapped the side of his helmet. I weirdly missed it. She says, sorry, this line concerns me so much. The helmet that symbolizes murder and torture. I wish we got an explanation, but I think that's the point potential subconscious programming of an hysteria bred puppet think buffy the vampire slayer 
Also, yes, this was a saved pin by SJM from her Pinterest. I don't know. I don't know the Buffy reference to you. You've heard evil Gwen theories, evil Elaine theories, evil IC and or Reese theories, but have we ever considered how deep the manipulation of Orion may run? He was bred by and for the, if you read closely, Orion claims B's power than Bryce herself. Power first, always. I think it's about her light, similar to an Asteri and the horn and the reason he was bred. This is such a small, ominous quote. I'll have to put together the whole theory soon because it's, and she puts dizzying. After all, Sarah J. Mass is the queen of plot twists. So Buffy the Vampire Slayer in the story, Slayers are the Chosen Ones are chosen by fate to battle against vampires, demons, and other forces of darkness. Buffy wants to live a normal life, but as the series progresses, she learns to embrace her destiny. Like previous Slayers, Buffy is aided by a Watcher who guides, teaches, and trains her. Okay. Interesting. I I had that moment where I almost tried to attribute his helmet to the collars that are in Throne of Glass and the rings and... We've even talked about that the throne that Tamlin sits on under the mountain. I don't know. Anyways, do you want to know what Creature Brain thinks the God Slayer rifle is? Yes. Sorry. So, we have some passages. I can't tell you what page they're on. You're just, they've literally just been pulled, okay? So, we have to where Rune has the star sword on the table of the of the gallery, Library. And when he'd laid the star sword on the table in the gallery library and it had hummed shim- shimmering, she'd had to physically pull back to avoid the instinct to touch it, to an- answer its silent, lovely song. And then we have, she was almost to the wooden desk when the first lights flicked on. A rack of them illuminated the dismantled gun hanging on the wall behind the desk. The Godslayer rifle gleaming as fresh as it had the day it had been forged. Mm. She could have sworn a faint wine radiated from the gold and steel. The legendary lethal gun was still ringing after a shot. It unnerved her that it was in here, despite the fact that Jezebel had split it into four pieces, mounted like a work of art behind her desk. Four pieces that could still be easily assembled, but it put her clients at ease, even while it reminded them she was in charge. And then we also know that we have the bullet, So this is where Bryce is in Prithian. As the small female shock was a rare occurrence, the female eyed the star sword then, looked at the first winged male, Bryce's captor, nodded to the dark-hilted knife at his side. The male drew it and Bryce flinched. Flinched, but what the fuck? The knife could have been the twin of the star sword, black-hilted and bladed. It was its twin. The star sword began to hum within its sheath, Glittering white light leaked from where the leather met the dark hilt, the dagger. The male dropped the dagger to the plush carpet. All of them retreated as it flared with dark light as if in answer, Alpha and Omega. And then we have a made weapon like the Star Sword, Guardian, and Truth Teller. Both the God Slayer and Star Sword hum and shimmer in Bryce's presence. Truth Teller and the Star Sword also do this in proximity to each other. And then they have, so what if Narbon, the missing sword from Akatar, that is capable of killing godlike monsters, was brought to Midgard, melted down, and forged into Jezebel's mysterious rifle. And then someone, Anna, Anna Cha-Cha, that's a fun, that's a fun Reddit name, 
said, what if Danica's sword is Narbin, though? Because it has to be important. And the creature brain said, yeah, that was what I thought initially, too. What if they both are? If Narbin was large, it could conceivably be melted down and forged into two weapons, the God Slayer rifle and Danica's sword, a second pair of made weapons. So Nanche, which I've read stuff from this, I like the idea of that. The only problem is that Narbin is said to be made of dark things. I always took it as a sign it was going to be used for evil. But I do really like this idea, so I'm cool if we learn this happened because that is intriguing. And then Creature Brain says, except that Lanthus feared it, so presumably it was used against the godlike Daglin. And then Nanche says, true, good point. I wonder why Amran explains explains it that way then, unless she's lying about it. And then Creature Brain says, Amran was in the prison during the Age of Heroes when the made weapons were used, so she's not a reliable source of information about the era. Reese mentioned this briefly in either Akasif or Akawar. And then, of course, Nanche comes in with... Narbin's powers had not been the holy savior's light of Guidian, but one's far darker. That doesn't necessarily make it evil. It could very well be a shadow concept. Not not necessarily a dark bad, but like where we have a shining light of Thea's light, but then we have Rune's shadows. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe it's more of something like that. That we don't know what it is then, so then it's something darker. We'll saw our shadows. You know what I mean? Night yes. Court, shadows. Oh, and then she said, sorry, I misquoted. It was actually Cassian who provided this info. I just think it's interesting. I agree. The the god the rifle has to had to be more than just a dismantled rifle behind her. Like it, Which I'm I'm agreeing with you. I'm following this up because we've talked about points of this. I don't know if we've talked about each of these or not in subsequent order where I put all of them together in one thing. This is, of course, Emiego. Of course it is. Um, but it's a year ago and it says, could Jessica Roga be Queen Thea's unnamed daughter? I feel like we've talked about this. Yeah. Here's a lot of cool evidence right in a row. Okay. And there's one piece of it that I had not considered and I'm just like, duh. And now I'm like, fuck, she is her queen or unnamed daughter. Here we go. We know that she is super, super old. Jessica would be real pissed if she saw that. <laughs> yeah, we didn't say that. But <laughs> don't come for us, Jessica. She has spent the entirety of her life protecting the very books that the Asteri want to destroy. Those that hold the truth about Thea and what the world was prior to the Asteri. She has also watched over and protected Bryce, Thea's descendant. When she saw Bryce's starborn light, she looked like she'd seen a ghost. All things we've said. Yep, yep, yep. We know that Jessica is not her real name. The Bone Carver said that a long time ago, a female warrior trapped him and his siblings, mentioning that everyone has since forgotten her name. The symbol that the Bone Carver drew into the sand when explaining the story was the same symbol seen on the amulet that Jessica gives Bryce. The three interlocking circles. Yep, she yep. speaks to Adis as if they know each other. If the theories are correct, Adis is her father, which is why Helena is said to have inherited both the starborn powers and the shadow powers of Adis. Helena, the other daughter. Yes. The named daughter. But Adis is technically a demon or what they refer to in TOG as Volg, who are also demons. This is the part that I'm like, no shit. I don't know why I didn't put this together. We know that when we mix demons and Volg and Faye, you get a witch. Thea and Ada's children, Jessica, may be witches. 
We have fucking known that this entire motherfucking Why? time. Why have we never put well, that together? Because we have literally, like I'm pointing up to Queen of Shadows, we've literally talked about it. We have a whole episode like about witches and Manon and how Mama Archeron could have been a witch. And like we talked about, we are so stupid. So stupid. Thanks, Emily. <sighs> I mean, that would make sense why she would defect. Not draw attention to herself. The under king knows her by a different name, but they doesn't say what it is. Well, and that's why she's not like shitty to Hypaxia. As far as like the witches themselves go, mm-hmm. it's not like there was like, quote unquote, bad blood between the, the actual witches. <laughs> she she just def- did it herself. Mm-hmm. So that's what this Jetsica says. <laughs> if either theory. Oh, she also said it, crack theory. If she was Thea, which I don't. I wouldn't go that far. I don't believe that far, but she says, in crack theory, you could even go one step further. We know that the historical accuracy of the stories around Thea is dubious at best. What if Jessica is Thea and the Adis is spinning lies about her death to protect her? I mean, she seems to be everywhere with knowledge of everything. The Asteri know this and they do not come for her. Why? Which, true. True. But then this Jessica says, if either theory is correct, it's interesting that she had the Godslayer rifle, which... That's why I found this. Yeah. The Godslayer rifle is going to show back up. It's going to play. You know, she snatched that bitch when she was like, okay, well, library's closed. Bye. You know, she fucking snatched that up. Bauer AB. She's right there with us. I completely overlooked how witches are created. That fact alone sealed the deal for me on this theory. My mouth dropped. Same sister. Same. Same. I mean, my God, we do you know how many times we have made that reference? I'm amazed by our stupidity sometimes. It's like whenever you put the whole puzzle together and then you're like, where the fuck is that missing piece? Are you fucking kidding me? We're so good at our job. To be fair, we are not getting paid. So it's okay if we're not the best at our job. Is it okay that we're not the best? No, not really. No, it's not. (laughs) We don't strive for mediocrity. Ooh, this person and underscore that's underscore that says too long didn't read i think jessica is one of queen thea's daughters entrusted with the library of parthos at the end of the first wars and resurrected by hypaxia's family in a new body mm, that would bring a little something something to the the necromancy bit it really would yeah she also possessed three of the supposed five arkesian amulets that existed say that to me again jessica has or had at least three of the arkesian amulets i'm pretty sure bryce oh. says only five of them existed yeah and then Bryce got one melted. And then she took the last one to put back on. That was in Jezebel's possession. At the end of Micah's little speech that he's giving, he's talking about Parthos or whatever. Uh-huh. How the human army made its final stand against the Vaynir to save proof of what they were before the rifts opened to save the books. A hundred thousand humans marched that day knowing they would die and lose the war. Micah's smile grew, all to buy the priestess's time to grab the most vital volumes. They loaded them onto ships and vanished. I am curious to learn how they landed with Jessica Roga. So that's actually really fucking funny that you just said that. So I've seen I, where Yaz has said like, she thinks that she could be priestess Oleana. That, but then I was also reading through some more of the comments under the like Godslayer thing Which and the like amulets were worn by the priestesses so. right and so amarantha you know throwing the sword into the sea and like throwing narbon into the sea because it wouldn't like basically bend to her and then 
this off Tori Vendell on Tumblr. So this was linked in some of the Reddit comments and it said, could there be a rift or the remnants of one in the Haldron Sea? Okay. Is it permanently closed or only dormant? Where could it possibly lead? Disclaimer, this is just a parallel I noticed, which could obviously be very wrong. Thanks always to at Winged Blooms for listening when I send her random quotes and name definition. So a while ago, I was talking with at Winged Blooms and Silver Lined Eyes, which I actually think that we have read some Tumblr stuff from them before too. And the possibility that the gates or rifts between SJM's worlds could be closed or quote off the hook to use an outdated term due to depleted power source, possibly because the three death God siblings were placed into strategic locations around Prithian in order to drain the land of the power required to activate them. I keep going back to the Stargate. I know not sorry, but it really does remind me of the ZPM crystals that were required to establish the long distance wormholes between the different galaxy. I don't know anything about Stargate, so I'm sorry, but I mean, I understand like wormholes to different galaxies and whatever, whatever it's like space time continuum sci-fi crystals shit. and they've got those calm crystals right Bryce has one in her pocket if they were drained then the gates or whatever else they were powering like wards couldn't function hosab chapter five he was accustomed to cold had explored as deep as the mayor's gift would allow without his skull cracking like an egg but this northern stretch of the haldron sea was different it sucked the life from one's bones its grayness creeping into the soul though swimming would be a hell of a lot less nauseating and then in Akamath chapter 57, light and dark and gray and light and dark and gray. So I guess they're describing like, I would assume that other one was a quote of inside the cauldron. Maybe it says I messaged, messaged at wing bloom about this little, uh, about this a uh, little while back, but I've been wondering if the Haldron sea, which was referred to as gray and leeching sucking life from Therian's bones, etc., was where a rift could have been. Though whether that rift, if it does exist, would have connected to Prithian or Aurelia or even somewhere else is the question. And so then the person that tagged this particular Tumblr post. So there was previous quotes that when Amarantha threw the sword into the sea, someone said, yeah, take that rumor with a grain of salt. I don't think that Amarantha ever had it. And then Pants the Terrible said or she did and there was a portal in the sea or Jezeba was in Prithian at the time and retrieved it why mention the rumor if it's not going to be important and then TARDIS teapot said I've wondered this as well I'm fully behind the idea that the seas may contain portals or rifts to other worlds and then they're the ones that tagged what I read in tumblr Therian's description of the Haldron Sea in Hosab made it sound like a possible location. And it's interesting that in Akawar, Papa Archeron named his three ships, the Pharah, the Elaine, and the Nesta. And so it's kind of like, did Papa Archeron Therian, use? <clears throat> oh, go ahead. Everything you're reading, it's not what I'm reading, but it goes together. Like me and you. Give it to me, baby. <clears throat> do you want me to start? Do you have a lot more to say? Well, so it's just like I can that. Give you the Therian quote and then shut up. But. Well, and then also Cassian conveniently brought us bought a special book for Nesta and then throws it into the sea, and it also must be important. And I think it ended up in Midgard. Okay, here we go. Okay, and that's that on Reddit. Still, the enigma that is just Baroga. I read the TLDR, but now we're gonna read a little bit more because it's it's pretty good. Okay. So this is the section about Jessica and the Great Library of Parthos, as we learned from Micah. I just read that part. Yep. 
but the books are not the only thing that Jessica has from Parthos. She also has the Arcesian amulets. We got that. Yep. The human army's last stand at Parthos. Now, this is referring to the beginning of Sky and Breath. Okay. So, in Earth and Blood, Micah confirms that Parthos was indeed real because Bryce initially kind of says that some people don't think it was real or that it was whatever. Yeah. And we learn more about Parthos and Hosab. When Regelius Adis comes to Bryce's apartment, he prompts Therian to share what he knows about Parthos. Therian said, ancient humans and their gods dwelled here. I've heard the ruins of their civilization are deep beneath the sea. When Apollyon visits Bryce, he appears in what is described as what remains of Parthos in the dream world. Pay attention to that description. She stood on a vast, dusty plain before an azure, cloudless sky. Distant, dry mountains studded the horizon, but she was surrounded by only by rock and sand and emptiness. Now she says, I'm almost certain that Bryce and Apollyon are standing underwater, but because it is a dream world, she doesn't realize that. And I also found the description of Parthos where remember the humans made their final stand in a battle against the Vanir to be reminiscent of the description of the first wars battle depicted in the freeze at the CC ballet. What Ember stepped up to the depiction of an army of winged demons swooping down from the skies upon a terrestrial army gathered on the plain below. Remember what Micah says? It was at Parthos that a doomed human army made its final stand against the Vanir. Now I know that Bryce says that the freeze depicts a battle between hell's armies and the armies of Midgard. This one's about hell's armies arriving to conquer Midgard before during the first wars. Bryce finished trying to keep her voice bland. She also later reads an inscription. Thus, the seven princes of hell looked in envy upon Midgard and unleashed their unholy hordes upon our united armies. This inscription makes me believe the battle depicted is actually the Battle of Parthos. As we're repeatedly reminded, the Asteri have manipulated history throughout their time on Midgard, and we know that they... they <laughs> and we know that they envy was not the reason hell was fighting the Asteri. You might be thinking, wait, but Bryce says the freeze depicts demons, not Vanir. How do you explain that? Well, I can't, at least not definitively. What I can say is that the Asteri are known to be involved in breeding, have adamantly bred their own armies, and are suspected of having bred the Illyrians. So maybe this demon army was actually a winged army bred by the Asteri. So Parthos and his allies. So why does the freeze matter? Bryce explains that it's an architectural feature common to ancient buildings that can depict stories in a sequence of discrete panels. There's another panel at the CC ballet that depicts a fey warrior that looks an awful lot like hunt. Randall's got that. Mm -hmm. He's got that on lock on it. A powerful fey male stood poised above an anvil hammer raised skyward in one fist, lightning cracking from the skies, filling the hammer and flowing down towards the object of a hammer's intended blow, a sword. If you've read my other post, you know that I think the Fey Warrior might be Fion or Peleus, and it almost certainly hunts father. And remember, Jessica knows Hunt's father. Mm-hmm. Ada said at last, I think Athelar's father would have been proud. Sentimental of you, Ada shrugged as best his feline body would allow. Feel free to disagree, of course, he said, leaping off the bench. You knew the male best. His whiskers twitched as he angled his head. What of the library? It is very interesting that Adis transitions from Hunt's father immediately to the library, almost like the two have some connection. Right. So let's assume that the humans, Hell, and some Fey, Thea's contingent, were all allied against the Asteri in their first wars. If the humans knew that their army was doomed and they 
needed to protect the books, it made sense that they would give the books to their allies for safekeeping. Mm-hmm. Of course, Jessiba is not Thea. Adis laments Thea's death to Jessiba in the final chapter, and Jessiba refers to Thea in the third person. But could Jessiba be one of Thea's daughters? I also like the idea of Jessiba being Helena because she suggests that Adis royalty screwed them over. I think she means that Adis royally screwed them over. Yes. When he asked Apollyon to kill Peleus. Jessiba didn't speak again until the fifth prince of hell had stalked a few feet away. Don't fuck us over this time, Adis. If Jessica was Helena, I wonder if there was some plan with Peleus that required Thea to die, but for some reason they didn't tell Adis about it. Helena, as Thea's daughter and Peleus' wife, would presumably be aware of the plan. I'm a little confused about that part. Read that again. Say that to me again. Just that last, just that last little bit. If Jessica was Helena, uh-huh. I wonder if there was some plan with Peleus that required Thea to die. But for some reason, they didn't tell Adis about it. Helena, as Thea's daughter and Peleus's wife, would presumably be aware of the plan. Basically, like so they Prince didn't tell Peleus him. Peleus was the one that like. He killed her, right? Peleus killed Thea. Yeah. And maybe not not telling him so he wouldn't be able to stop the plan from moving forward. Adis? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> because he loved her. Yeah. And so otherwise he would not have wanted her to die and he would have intervened. And so they didn't tell him the plan. So he would never saying like, don't fuck us over this time. So what would he have done? Like he turned them over in a fit of rage or something. Maybe. I don't know. God, we need this third book right now. Not in 25 days. This last section is called necromancy for the win. The two big problems with the theory that Jessica is either Helena or the unnamed daughters are that one, Faye don't live that long, and two, she doesn't have Faye features and definitely doesn't have black hair like Helena. But what if she is one of the daughters in a witch's body, which we think she could be a witch. Yeah. In the Therian bonus chapter, we learn that Hypaxia's family has the power to raise the dead even without a body. Therian asks Hypaxia, what happens when the dead come back? Are they the same? And Hypaxia responds, no, if their body has been destroyed, they require a new one, which is disorienting to say the least. We know that Hypaxia has mysterious connections to Parthos, including the fact that her three tutors were from there. Mm -hmm. If Hypaxia's family knew that Thea's descendants had been hidden, had hidden the Parthos books, maybe they resurrected one of them to retrieve the books so they could figure out how to defeat the Asteri. This also explains why Jessica was a witch before she defected. If the indoors needed a body, if the indoors needed a body, they probably used a witch's body. Jessica could then just assume that witch's identity, whether her defection to Hofast was part of the plan or curveball. Hard to say. I just think she could be the unnamed daughter and a witch naturally by being the product of a fae and a demon. Oh, yeah. Period. Jessica Roga, antiquities dealer. She has had a few death marks. She must know you. She knows everyone. The under king's eyes glowed. I do not know her by that name, but yes, I know her. Yeah, that His part. Gaze drifted behind her to Hypaxia at last. Like he didn't notice that she was even there? Or like he's saying that they're connected, Jessica and Hypaxia. Which wouldn't that also mean that she's so connected like, I'm to talking, Lydia? I'm talking to you and he's like, yeah, I know her, but not by that name. And then he looks away and looks at Hypaxia. Like, it's kind of like they know something she doesn't know. Hypaxia and the Underking. 
right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe with her necromancy powers. Yeah. And those, and maybe not necessarily that hypaxia had anything to do with it, but her teachers in Parthos did, or it was written as such. And it just kills me that hypaxia doesn't even know what Celestina did. That stupid bitch. I know. Ugh. That just all came back to me. Uh, you know that we're going to die whenever we read this, right? We're going to die a little bit on the outside and a lot on the inside. You know, mm-hmm. we're not going to sleep for days. Who the fuck are you, Jezeba? God damn it. And what do you know, Hypaxia? Because, you know, the thing is, is that Hypaxia, just how she was like so mysterious with Rune, where like we went so long without knowing her name, without knowing who she truly was. And then she was just all of a sudden like, hi, I'm Hypaxia. Why didn't you fucking say something? Like, you didn't ask. Yeah, you didn't ask. Like, okay, little snot nose oh, shit. Okay. Is that what your teachers in Parthos taught you to act like? You know what? If one of my swimmers would be like, you didn't ask, I'd be like, I'm holding you underwater. Done. I'm done with your sass. As a physical book lover, we've all found ourselves in major need of a bookmark when we've been rudely interrupted while reading. Interruptions like your job, your needy pets and family, or your spouse wanting to tell you all about a random thing that they've been doing, all while you're at a really good part. Don't they see that we're reading? And in those moments, we've all found ourselves having to grab for a receipt a post-it note, a scrap of paper, or the absolute worst, dog-earing your page. Well, in those moments, Case Leatherworks has you covered. Their dog ear bookmark fits perfectly over the corner of your page, so you never lose your place. Their products are made with top grain American leather in a variety of colors, and you have the option to customize your bookmark with your initials. Along with their bookmarks, they offer a variety of home good products that's perfect for any reading nook. Support small business by visiting caseleatherworks.com and our listeners will receive 10% off your first order by using code THEORIES at checkout. That's offer code THEORIES at caseleatherworks.com. Let's talk about dragons. We got to kick off the year of the dragon. All right. We are in the Akatar subreddit, a post by a user claim salt 1697 titled a certain set of our favorite boys might not be what we think they are a theory 12 days ago at the time of this recording warning spoilers for the massiverse this we whole podcast you all know that it says this is a crackpot theory you have been warned after reading through it i'm just not sure that it is <laughs> the bat boys may not actually be bat boys they might be dragon boys a Let's- boy dragon <laughs> a boy dragon Let's turn this back a bit and go all the way down to under the mountain. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. We first meet Rhysand's beast form in Akatar when he indulges Feyre's curiosity concerning the High Lord's shifting abilities. Each of us has a beast roaming beneath our skin, roaring to get out. I find wings and talons to be more entertaining. Indeed, it was still Rhysand's face, but flaring out behind him were massive black membranous wings like a bat's the single claw at the apex of each peaked over his broad shoulders akatar chapter 38 the second time we see this is an akamath during reese's nightmare scene his hands however still ended in long black talons and his feet they ended in claws too weird that's also chapter 38 but that's an akamath the first passage was chapter 38 in akatar okay weird Finally, we get the full reveal in Akawar. The talons came first, then dark scales or perhaps feathers covered his legs, his arms, his chest. 
It was a thing of nightmares, nothing human or fae in it. The face, it was those creatures that had been carved into the rock of the court of nightmares. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe this is because the cover of Akamath looks like a raven, but I'd always assumed Reese's beast form to be very bird-like. This is neither here nor there. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) I can also point out that the bird on the cover of Akamath is holding a ring, and this book literally starts and ends with a wedding. Also, that's when Reese makes Feyre go retrieve her ring. Right. Maybe Feyre's the bird. If you're a bird, I'm a bird. Yeah. Basically, I pictured a more threatening version of Howl. However, it has come to my attention that I may have been misled, because what else does Ferris say those feathers could be? Scales. Then dark scales, or perhaps feathers, I couldn't get a good look at them, covered his legs, his arms, his chest. What else is frequently, nay, constantly described as being very scale-like? Illyrian fighting leathers, baby. Powerful, muscled bodies covered in plated, dark leather that reminded me of the worn scales of some serpentine beast. Akamath, chapter 16. The dark pants were tight. The scale-like plates of leather worn and scarred. Akamath, 17. Cassian still wore his leathers, the overlapping scale of them full of shadows that made him look like a great writhing beast. Akasaf, chapter 22. It's, just that, full it's of just that line of him looking like a great writhing beast. That literally is something that would be used in other fantasy worlds and novels to describe a dragon. It is fair to mention as a callback to the bird on the cover of Akamath, there's also this imagery. Reese, Azrael, and Cassian wore black helmets whose cheek guards had been fashioned and swept upward like raven's wings, albeit razor-sharp raven's wings, that jutted up to either side of the helmet right above the ear. Akka War, chapter 56. This is what I found when I was looking for the Valkyrie thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, who's to say they aren't supposed to be sweeping dragon horns instead? Mm-hmm. Here's where things get interesting. More than one character over multiple books mentions the serpentine scaly beast carved into the stone of the hewn city. The very same carvings Feyre compared Reese's full beast form to. Great scaled black beasts were carved into these gates, all coiled together in a nest of claws and fangs. The beast seemed to writhe. Akamath chapter 42. More of the serpents were carved here this time wrapped around the countless columns supporting the onyx ceiling. The throne itself had been fashioned out of a few of them, a head snaking around either side of the back as if they watched over the high Lord's shoulder. Akamath 42. These carvings are then directly compared to the winged Illyrian warriors in their fighting leathers. Their armor was intricate, scaled. They reminded me somehow of the ebony beast carved into the pillars they passed. Even Cassian acknowledges this. Cassian and his black armor felt more like the beast carved into the towering pillars beneath this mountain. Akasef 57. In Akasef, Lanthus shows Nesta a vision. Enormous onyx beast, scaled like those she'd seen on the hewn city pillars, lay at the foot of the dais. Akasef 54. And afterwards, Reese busts out some history. Daglan possessed mighty, monstrous beast, hounds, They called them, though they didn't look like the hounds we know. The hounds looked like the scaled beast carved into the hewn city's pillars. Now, where else in the Massiverse have we heard the term hounds, and specifically stone hounds? 
even more specifically, hounds that don't look like hounds, but are actually more serpentine in nature. Queen of Shadows. Oh, Queen of Shadows. I I, I didn't want I didn't want to steal your thunder. <clears throat> it's all good. It's all good. Where is the, the oh I see it in the back. Okay. It, I was expecting it to be darker. Nope. It's I subtle. See the, I see the wyvern. Okay. Also, did you see it at the very bottom, right underneath a throne of glass novel, the red eyes? Mm-hmm. Scary. This is from Queen of Shadows, chapter 27. The creature rose, its black stone body cutting through the water, uncoiled to its full height. Word hound. That's what she would call it, even if it didn't look remotely like a dog. Serpents, scales, wings, plated armor, coiling bodies, writhing beasts. These are dragon descriptions, people. But perhaps not just any dragons. Perhaps they're wyverns. I know some people say wyverns. I'm sorry. I love wyverns. I love wyverns. It's the way it is. Uh, this gets a little dicey because wyverns exist in Throne of Glass. If the word hound was a wyvern, why wouldn't Aelin call it that? I would argue that the hounds were dragons with four legs and not actual wyverns. Let's veer off the TOG train and go back to our bat boys for a minute. Bat boy wings to be specific. Fun fact, only four characters throughout the entire series, bless ebook search functions, refer to the bat boys via bat references. Farah oft used sayings are bat-like or like a bat's. Nesta used the term to lash out at Cassian. Why should I be scared of an oversized bat who likes to throw temper tantrums in Akawar chapter 19? Kier, Moore's father throws it out there. Are the overgrown bats not up to snuff anymore? Akawar 25. Baron Lucian's father also spits it out. Call off your overgrown bat. Baron ordered Reese, Akawar 46. It's almost like calling them bats is insulting. Hmm. Anatomically, our bat boys simply don't have bat wings. Bat wings connect down the entire bat body. Their wings are... Their legs are a part of their wings almost as much as their arms. At this point, if you've never seen The Science and the Magic of Illyrian Flight by Rosie Thorns, which illustrates how bat boys might look while flying, I highly recommend taking a short detour to peruse her incredible and lovely work. Let's peruse. Perusing. She's like an illustrator. Rosie Thorns, 88. The Science and Magic of Illyrian Flight. Join mm-hmm. me as we discover the magic of science and science of magic in the Illyrian world of Sarah J. Mass. Disclaimer, I am not a professional in human or bat anatomy. <laughs> this is just an interpretation of Illyrian flight science after a few curious hours of watching slow-mo flying bat videos and a powerful weekend stealing spark of passion. All right. I'm not going to read all of this to you. So but she was hyper fixated. That's what <laughs> happened. <laughs> Essentially, she's like, what would Illyrians look like in flight? I think I sent you a meme about that once. Like... Their legs dangled. They yeah. keep their legs flushed straight back. <laughs> just very funny. <clears throat> I would assume that they would, just for to be aerodynamic and for balance, the, those legs would have to be straight back. Yeah. So essentially, if they had bat wings, then they shouldn't have arms because bat wings are their arms, similar to a wyvern. Mm-hmm. Wyvern and dragons both have operable limbs that are separate from their wings, even though wyvern's wings are, in essence, their arms. Their wings don't span their entire bodies the way wings do. They operate independently, the way Illyrian wings operate independently. Do you know where wyverns, dragons, have a prominent and rich mythological history? None other than the lands that look exactly like Prithian. Mm-hmm. If you're still new the to Akatar... The mortal lands, if you will. There you go. <laughs> if you're still new to Akatar, spoilers below, friends, you've been warned, it is widely known that Prithian is England plus Scotland plus Wales. Prithian is a combination of Prithian, the old Welsh name for Britain, and Brython translates to ancient Britons and Welsh. 
Hibern is a riff on Hibernia, the Latin name for Ireland. It's well known that SJM loves worldview mythology and has used it extensively throughout all three of her series. Reese is a Welsh name, a popular one dating back to a famous king in the 11th century. Want to know what else Welsh has? Famous dragons. Dragons. Early on in Wales, dragon became synonymous with war leader or ruler. Hmm. Now, some of you might be saying, but wait, only wyverns exist in TOG, not dragons. Well, how do they exist? Elide breathed. She'd heard stories of wyverns and dragons. Queen of Shadows, chapter huh. 20. And who's to say the word hounds were not four-legged dragons themselves? All right, now let's throw in a teeny tiny list from CC to tie in dragons in Britain in the Massiverse. Rune, plus a literal sword in the storm, a.k.a. the star sword, Bryce, the starborn heir being born of a king but raised by another man, Hunt being called Bryce's knight, and many other men being inexplicably drawn to her. What does this equal? King Arthur, or maybe Queen Arthur, seeing as how Bryce is the starborn heir and the star sword Excalibur's equivalent is hers. And what <laughs> and what is King Arthur's last name slash title? Pendragon. The Excalibur thing. I've always had that in the back of my brain, but like, this is so good. I mean, literally Rune going and getting the sword in the stone. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. One of my favorite Disney animated classics, BT dubs. I love that squirrely little witch and that she is. I need to go watch it now. You, you do because I'm blown away. Pin dragon means chief dragon or head dragon, but also translates to chief warrior in the figurative sense. What are our Illyrian babies? If not that now there are lots more dragony things tying the Welsh world to Akatar, powerful beings, Buried underneath a mountain, a plague caused by a mighty ma- magician. I was that a magician. <laughs> I wish you would have. I God, I wanted you to so bad. A plague caused by a mighty magician, a trap set at the exact center of the island. Any of this sounding familiar? Mm-hmm. What's the trap? Mountain. Oh, is that what? It, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Just let it be known that Prithian is Britain, dragons and wyverns, are important British Welsh mythology involving warriors and kings. Now let's look at the Batboy wings descriptions. Flaring out behind him were massive black membranous wings, Akamath 38. He tucked them in neatly behind him, but the single claw at the apex of each peeked over his broad shoulders, Akamath 38. Reese stretched his wings, the sunlight setting the leathery texture glowing with subtle color, Akamath chapter 7. There's a lot of descriptive repetition, too much to include without going overboard, so we're going to keep it simple with these three things. Now let's scooch over <laughs> onto TOG to look at Wyvern's wings. Empire of Storms, a leathery, membranous wing flashed in the sunlight, and his enormous wings tipped with a claw, Era Fire, Chapter 12. The variation in coloring was striking, Era Fire, Chapter 27. In summary, both Illyrian wings and wyvern wings are membranous, have a single talon claw at the apex, sometimes very pretty. Mm-hmm. Then you have the wyvern bodies. His gray hide was warm and surprisingly soft, thick but supple like worn leather. Era Fire 27. It was marred all over by thick scars. Illyrian fighting leathers are also often referred to as worn and scarred. Yeah, where are they getting these leathers? What are they made of? Are they like wearing a Braxos? <laughs> Wouldn't you shit? Oh my God. What are they wearing? I never even thought about that. Oh my. We got to move on. I, <laughs> I, 
No, mm -mm. cannot comprehend, cannot compute. Uh, my computer will crash. Keep going. Illyrian firing leather is often referred to as worn and scarred. The scale-like plates of leather worn and scarred. Moving on to Abraxos, our favorite wyvern. Let's delve into the reasons why Manon chose him in the first place. Because he's the goodest boy. He's the goodest boy. The bait beast had trounced him. Not because he was bigger or stronger, but because he wanted it more. This wyvern before her, he was a warrior. Era fire 23. Abraxos trounced Titus, the biggest and baddest of all wyverns. He was physically restrained by chains. His spikes had been sawed off. His teeth were broken, and he was effectively a runt. Yet, the beast let out a low snarl in response, not submissive in the least. That sound. A threat. A promise. The bait beast wanted a shot at Titus. Allies, if only for this moment. Era fire 23. To draw another Illyrian wyvern comparison... This is exactly what happens with those who participate in the blood rite. No weapons, no magic. It's not the strongest or biggest or most trained that conquer. It's those who band together, those who ally, those who have the greatest will and the greatest bonds that survive. Reese and Cass and Az plus Nesta and Emery and Gwen. Quick little plug. Could Ramiel or Beneath it be where Wyvern still roam? And then there were creatures that roam the mountains, ones that can easily bring down an Illyrian warrior with claws and fangs, Akasef chapter 16. Unsurprisingly, the Illyrians were never curious enough to see what secrets lie beneath Ramiel, Akasef 62. They're all just asleep under there. Or do they exist in the night court itself? There was a place in the court of nightmares where even Kier did not dare tread. A pit of writhing beasts, snarls and hisses, snapping tails and scraping claws, Akasef 37. This is where Asriel tortures people and lets their blood run right, 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 right. Not as much as I would like to draw the conclusion that Illyrian siphons act as a substitute for dragon fire. As far as we know, wyverns in the TOG world never breathed fire and wyverns in fantasy lore in general, which is a bummer because the comparison is great. That is really great. And that would also pair up with our like Godzilla blue fire. Don't scroll. Oh, well, I see the dragon. Don't scroll any further. Oh, okay. They're called siphons. They concentrate and focus our power in battle. The power of stronger Illyrians tends toward incinerate now, ask questions later. Akamath chapter 16. Mm -hmm. They have little magical gifts beyond that. The killing power. Cassian braced his forearm on the broad stone railing, his red siphons like living pools of flame. Akamath 58. The skies opened up. Siphons flared. Soldiers died. Akawar 56. I couldn't even spot him beyond the blazing fire of his siphons. Tell me that doesn't sound like a blast of dragon fire. Now, hold on. What about Azriel's siphons? They're blue. That's not very dragon fire like, right? Well, blue is the hottest fire. All hail our favorite fire breathing bitch queen, the heir of fire and ash. Our queen not only sports blue fire, but she also imbued a certain red jeweled weapon with her fire power. A ruby the size of a chicken egg was embedded in the hilt. Era fire 35. Fire glowed in the heart of the stone. Kingdom of Ash 50. Flame danced at Aelin's fingertips. The fire seemed to sink into the blade, the ruby flickering. Kingdom of Ash 91. Huh. Kind of sounds like. Twin red stones adorn Cassian's gauntlets, their color like the slumbering heart of a flame. We're going to forgo diving into siphons more than that and possible connections that they have to CC for sake of time and clarity. Let's not forget about the dress. What kind of dress exactly? Oh, a dragon dress. A very serpenty dragon dress, dare I say, even wyverny. The gold embroidery... 
your face. It's all right there. The gold embroidery continued from the shoulder, sweeping to form a serpentine dragon. Queen of Shadows. 28. And how did Rowan choose to compliment Aelin in this stunning get-up? You look like a queen? The fire-breathing bitch queen those bastards claim you are. Why is our queen, the heir of fire and ash herself, not associated more with dragons? I kind of feel like she should be. So back to this outfit, to the air, to the hair accessories, the hair she'd swept back with golden bat wing shaped combs that rose above either side of her head, like a primal headdress, almost exactly like how the bat boys helmets are described. Why would Aelin wear bat wings with a dragon dress? Because when you think about it, now to sum up the conclusions we've drawn so far, the leathery scale like plated fighting leathers, the comparison to the serpentine beast carved into the hewn city, the Illyrian brute's killing powers, the fact that they're winged warriors. You know what type of animal does not fit that description? Bats. But let's look at another massiverse creature that is said to be very bat-like. The adder. Most likely inspired by the Indonesian Ahul Athol. In this instance, I'd rather think of my bat boys as dragon boys. I mean, just look at Cassian. Meow. A lord with dragon wings, clothed in dragon scales, lord of bloodshed indeed. He is the Welsh definition of dragon, a.k.a. great warrior leader personified. Now, before you riot, I will never not call them the bat boys. They will forever be the bat boys in my heart. But is this all enough? No, not yet anyways, but don't worry. I've got more to tie this all in. And to really send everything home, let's go over some Illyrian origins. Specifically, let's remember that we don't know what Illyrians are and where exactly they came from. We don't know why they're not high fae or lesser fae. They just are. You aren't high fae. Illyrians are certainly not high fae. He hooked his black hair behind an ear, rounded as mine once had been. And we're not lesser fairies. We're just Illyrians. Akamath chapter 16. What else does Cassian say about Illyrians? Considered expendable aerial cavalry for the night court at the best of times, mindless soldier grunts at the worst. Hmm, kind of feels familiar to those who bred wyverns for their fighting killing powers might regard them. Now, Hosab is the first time we're given a potential clue to Illyrian origins, a clue that is only another crackpot theory at this point, that Illyrians were not originally born. They were bred. Stay with me. I will address the Princess of Hell and Demon Wings, I promise. The same way this guy was bred. And it's a photo of... Uh, the Umbra Mortis. The Umbra Mortis. In his black leathers, by the way. God, that looks so good. Yeah, it does. I mean, look at him holding that skull. <sighs> Tattoo or not. Anyways, what? Scroll. Scroll, scroll, scroll. <clears throat> we'll, we'll stay there forever. Our people who built fearsome warriors in that world to be their army, all of them prototypes for angels for this one, Hosab 73. Orion was bred to be receptive to our kind. Why do you think he is so adept at hunting us? They don't have pointed ears. Oh, we bred that out of them. It was gone within a few generations. The shifters easily and swiftly forget what they had once been. They gladly gave themselves to us and did our bidding, led our armies. For those deep into Massiverse connections, the Asteri equals the Volg equals the Daglan. If we're assuming all three are the same and that there's the possibility of a past, present, future within the Massiverse, then we've been given tidbits that this breeding and experimentation has been going on for some time and is still going on. How do they exist? The king made them, I don't know, from Queen of Shadows. Queen of Shadows. 
What's that? Lethal assassins bred by the prince of the pit. He keeps them as pets. Hosab 52. Wyverns themselves were said to have been bred. The smaller ones had been bred to be totally black against the night sky. We had a report that something strange was being bred there. It's important to note that shape-shifting and breeding could be two entirely different things. After all, in TOG, all fae have an animal form. I would not make the claim that these fae were bred. Rather, I am suggesting that through breeding, certain forms have become hereditary. To insinuate that Illyrians might have been bred and could have in turn passed down to a high lord of the night court through his Illyrian blood, let's look at how another high lord might have been bred through the blood of a different people. Now this goes into past, present, future, massiverse theories. It's maddening to only make guesses at how they might connect. May I present one of the most criminally underrated couples in the SJM universe? First off, Sartak looks Illyrian. No, Mm -hmm. but that's neither here nor there. Please, (laughs) I can't ponder any more connections or my brain is going to break. They really are. They honestly deserve their own novella. I'm going to be honest with you right now. (laughs) Sartak is the commander of the Rukin, the northern aerial cavalry of the Kagan... What do the Rukin ride? Rooks. Isn't that how they say that? I always say rucks, but... Is it rucks or is it rooks? I feel like it would be a short U based on the spelling. I agree, but... I didn't listen to the audiobook, so I don't know. My, I always pronounced it rucks. I have the audiobooks, but it, I don't have time to look at that right now. And what are they? Pray tell griffins, enormous birds, eagle in shape, the perfect mounts for the legendary archers who flew them into battle. Rooks are described as having, let's just combine the sounds, as having golden <laughs> feathers. Each of their golden feathers shone like burnished metal and her gold eyes had sized Nezrin up immediately. Huh. That's a lot like. That's helium. Dun, 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 helium. Not the sharp-tongued, brutal Helion who watched my sister and me like an eagle. A great golden eagle. What is eagle? Eagle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a great golden eagle. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> a great golden eagle. There it is. I wondered what his beast form was, if he grew wings like Resand. Yeah, he turns into a big fucking eagle slash Actual griffin. War, chapter 43. <laughs> Jesus, Feyre. It's us. obvious. Lucky us. That question is soon answered. If Reese was a flying terror crafted from shadows and cold moonlight, Helian was his daytime equivalent. Gold feathers and shredding claws and feathered wings. You could also argue that Helian's physicality is similar to those in the TOG southern continent. The skin and varying shades of brown and tan, the abundance of that shining black hair, were given hints that maybe all the solar courts possess wings in their beast forms. Perhaps the high lords of the solar court all possess wings beneath their skin, a gift from the skies that their courts claimed ownership of. Or were the high lords' ancestors bred from creatures that claimed the skies long before they ruled Prithian themselves? Things get a little wibbly wobbly timey wimey with this theory. We don't have a firm timeline for things to be fully plausible. We've been introduced to the concept of past, present, future with the SJM worlds. We've also been given string theory, AKA parallel or mirror worlds. And we've also tossed around the idea of different planets, same universe. And then there's the Seraphim and the Peregrines. I do think they were prototypes for the angels and archangels in CC. Were the Illyrians a first try prototype or were they meant to be another type of pet altogether? My vote would be the latter. 
Or were they not prototypes at all? Do they descend from a separate set of creatures entirely, creatures we still know very little about, except for the fact that their prince and his demons also have bat wings, as evidenced by Bryce's knee-jerk reaction to Asriel? Mm -hmm. She glimpsed black boots, dark scale-like armor over a tall, muscled body, wings, great black wings, a demon's wings, Hosab 78. Or, still going with the hell theory, was Apollyon himself a bred beast of the Asteri? In the Hebrew Bible, Abaddon, Greek version, is Apollyon, is an angel of the bottomless pit. He is depicted with bat wings, but described as an angel. Who's to say that he wasn't either the first angelic prototype or that the prototype started with him? Hmm. One last plug for our beloved bat boys not having bat wings, but dragon wyvern wings. We've been told that Resand is the most powerful high lord of all time, not because he simply has power, but because he is something other. Mm-hmm. Brethren and yet not, Tamlin was a high lord as powerful as any of them, except for the one at my side. Reese was a Reese was as different from them as humans were to Fay. Akamath forty four. If we're speculating, theorizing that Reese could be descended from the Volg via Maeve, then why is he the most powerful? All of his Fey line would have inherited the same traits, and it would only have been gotten more diluted with each passing generation. So why him? Can we assume it's become because Reese is half Illyrian and Whatever makes Illyrians. Illyrian is something in their blood that is strong, powerful, and ancient, like a wyvern, like a dragon. 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 All right. Last section. Leaving you with some additional food for thought concerning Aelin and her potential dragony connections to the night court itself. He could only stare toward her, Aelin, breathe in her scent, jasmine, libin verbena, and crackling embers. That's in KOA chapter five. Not embers. Not embers. The taste of her, jasmine, lemon, verbena, and crackling embers filled his mouth, filled his soul, as something burned and settled within him, an ember of warmth, like a piece of that raging magic, KOA 42. Realized that the flame she would unleash would be so cold it burned. Realized it was the cold of the stars, not wildfire, but moonfire, which is not unlike Nesta's silver flames. Do you think Reese's last name is Moonfire? I know you've made the joke. I'm it's like, probably Ash River, White Thorn, Galathinius, and Pharaoh's. Oh, yeah, let's just add Archeron onto that right, too. Right, like, right, right. While we're at it, baby Moonfire. Like, <laughs> hang on a second. What did I, what's what's her initials? Ash River, White Thorn, Galathinius. Okay, never mind. I was, <laughs> in Frost and Starlight, it says that Pharaoh receives a oh yeah painting tote with her initials on it. So I was like, if that was all of their initials. It would be F-A-W-G-A, but doesn't spell anything. It doesn't spell anything. <laughs> that was a good try, though. I was trying. You know what? A for effort, props for trying. Who Anyways. knows? Uh, great scaled black beasts were carved into those gates, all coiled together in a nest of claws and fangs. Between them flowed veins of jasmine and moonflowers. Oh, oh, oh his, his name is Moonflower. Resand Moonflower. I still think it could be Moonbeam, but... That's Fenris's. That's Fenris's. No, I'm just literally, it could be Amber. I don't know. They breathed in the salt. It's had to be something goofy because Feyre's making fun of him. Feyre teases him about it. I know. We've we've talked about that. I know. So it's got to be something goofy. Okay. They breathed in the salt and lemon verbena breeze that even winter couldn't chase away. Akamath 15. I smelled jasmine first, then saw stars, a sea of stars flickering beyond glowing pillars of moonstone that wrapped the sweeping view of endless snow-capped mountains. Welcome to the Night Court. Akamath chapter five. So this whole time I've been thinking about 
how they were describing the serpentine carvings on the pillars. And I, I don't know what episode it was in that I talked about kind of the breakdown of how there aren't technically any dragons in Akatar, mm-hmm. but that the worm is actually a type of dragon, a type of dragon. So what is the name of a dragon that has no wings? And it's a lindworm, a dragon with two front legs and no wings. So a wyvern is two legs, winged arms. Okay. A dragon is two arms, two legs, separate wings. A drake is two arms, two legs, no wings, which fire drakes were mentioned in Akatar. Mm-hmm. Amron. A lung dragon is has two arms, two legs, and then a very long body, but it has no wings. Mm-hmm. A lindworm is the serpentine body with two front legs. So its back end is it. So it to me it looks more like a sea creature. Okay. And then a worm has no arms, no legs, no wings. They're describing worms, but they could also be describing like the lindworms because then that would give the the claws. It you know, cuz then it would almost be climbing up the pillars and you would still see it and it would be serpentine and scaled, but it would still have the claws. So, I mean, it's it's basically in between, it's a worm with the legs, you know, and if we've got the wyvern, so then you lost the you lost the wings, kept the front legs, lost the back legs. So it's in between the worm and the wyvern. I'm going to send you this picture that I'm looking at. It's just a, it's a little drawing, but it gives you... TOG, we have wyverns. CC, we have dragons. Dragon dragons. And Akatar, we have the worm, and which is in the dragon family. The lindworm, it would be able to like claw you up, but it doesn't have the back legs. But I mean, it's no different than like how a snake would walk. Or put them as a sea creature as well. Just kind of that if there's been rifts in the sea. You said that earlier and I was like, what do you think is the deal with Bryce saying that it's been raining in Midgard like more than mm-hmm. ever before? Well, because there's going to be a great flood with the Midgard snake, which is a worm. And I stand by that. Or it could be this lindworm. I don't know. And then also you have the amphitheater, I think is amphitheater, amphitheater, which is the like basically the back half is the worm and then the front half is a wyvern. So it has the wyvern arms with the wings, but no back legs. But with it being described in the Court of Nightmares, the things that are in the pits, those are more than likely drakes just based off of their description. I think I'm going to have my heart broken. Are you are you reading more mythology? Mm-mm. It's worse. I'm reading the comments on this article, on this post. Huh? It's fantastic, okay? Okay. There's someone on I thought, here. I thought you were getting upset about my dragons. No, I'm getting upset about Hunt. It's Nanshay, N-A-N-C-H-E-Y. She's like, I love this. You missed a connection that I think will help continue to solidify your connection. Amazing explanation and setup, by the way, very eloquent and easy to understand. Gwen leads a creature to Illyrians during the blood, right? The thing that crawled over the ridge had been crafted of nightmares, part cat, part serpent, all black fur and sharp claws and hooked teeth. 
The best I could find was something called a tatzel worm, but a dragon or dragon prototype was what I was thinking. I did want to point out Ilkin, Erewhon's aerial army means first. So I honestly think those were the start of the prototypes for Illyrians. And however, they were bred over the years, they became more humanoid. Also, SJM has the little Godzilla figurine, the blue fire. Okay. This OP is like, oh my God, I missed the connection between Gwen during the blood rite and Erewhon's army, whatever. And then this lady says, man, she's like, you did a great job. I loved it. I'm right on the money. I love dragons. And she says, <laughs> talking about Asriel and Bryce potentially. She says, hallelujah for another Bryce and Asriel shipper. I love Hunt. I do. But I think in connection with the Arthurian theme happening in CC that he just might be the Lancelot to Bryce's queen, Arthur Nith. Then Nanche says, thank you. I am very much a Bryce real stan. I actually dislike Hunt. My friends found instances of him putting pills in her drinks. Says it's for whatever else, but seems sus as fuck. He's definitely something. My friend helped me figure out something that I didn't post to my recent hunt death theory post because the hate would have been rough. But Athalaric was a boy king of the Ostrogoths that died at 17. However, Athalaric is a derivative of Talarico, another derivative of Athlarico. It meant something in slang. In Brazil, the word Talarico is slang for one who is interested in someone else's romantic partner or wife stealer. It can also mean a friend betrayal. Then the OP says, shut the front door. Where's the pill instances? So she shares the instance in the beginning of CC2 whenever Hunt mm. puts that pill in Bryce's drink and he's he says the pill is tasteless and he claims it's like to test for poison. Right. Classy. She said, but drank. It still t- still tasted like champagne. No hint of the dissolved pill lingered. Now, I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then she posts three more, and now I'm upset. This is after the ballet incident where he tests for poison, supposedly. This is Bryce's speaking. And I think the poison testing pill you no doubt put in my whiskey had some sort of sad sack potion in it because I don't know why I'm thinking about all this right now. So she was like getting emotional after the fact they're at the party at runes she's yeah, upset yeah, yeah. she's like don't you feel guilty like partying and whatever when right. so many people died okay this is in cc1 they're like questioning bryce okay say the fuck away from bryce hunt's like or runes all pissed off okay hunt flipped off the empty doorway after a moment he murmured the tracking device in the water quinlan drank when she got here what's the time frame on it three days isaiah replied so in CC1, they put tracking in her water and had her drink it so they could track her for three days. I didn't remember that. I didn't remember that. This is in CC2. It's cut off, but it says Bryce shut her mouth a moment before a plastic cup of amber liquid garnished with a wedge of lime appeared before her. Princess Hunt crooned and Bryce's toes curled yet again. They seemed to have a habit of doing that around him. Do we get to use that term now? June perked up with delight. I've been dying. Absolutely not. Bryce swigged from her drink. She gagged. How much whiskey did you have the bartender put in here? Athelar. She coughed as if it would do anything to ease the burn. Hunt shrugged. I thought you liked whiskey. So it sounds like her it's drink a, could have been potentially. It's a little stronger than like he's trying to hide something. Then she knocked back the whole thing and let it burn right down to her soul. So that's three instances where, which 
I don't know. I didn't think anything of the poison thing. I totally forgot about the tracking thing. Yeah, and me too. We didn't even make note of that. The whiskey didn't register to me whatsoever. <laughs> what? I'm just, I'm just wrapping my head around. Because like we had read through a few that did not shine hunt in a very good light. Mm-hmm. And and I know that you're not a fan. I thought I wanted them to be in game, but God, some of these people have some very compelling catches. I'm I mean, hurt. I, mm. This is something I've also thought about. It's also sus- sus- uh huh. It's also sus- <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <sighs> It's also suspicious. All Asteri Triari have H nicknames hind harpy hound hammer just like hunt and all asteri have star names including the dead asteri sirius and again orion is a star that is together with sirius everything about hunt as a character screams asteri agent that will end up dead which that instagram post that you shared with me where it showed that this girl allegedly got an arc of hofas literally said that it broke her heart I think it was heartbreaking with the broken heart emoji. So I'm going to go ahead and make this one a little bit longer because I feel like that let's see that what Nanche has to say about the mate comparison theory. She's in that one too. She's in that one too. (laughs) So let's talk about mates y'all. And I'm going into this blind. I skimmed it just enough to be like, this sounds fun. Not enough to know the outcome. And this was six days ago at the time of this recording. I bring this theory to you on behalf of my friends who are nothing short of geniuses. I will condense all of our evidence and thoughts here for easy consumption. As I always like to say, kindness costs nothing. Debates are fun, but follow the rules of CCSJM's community. Number one is be kind. I mean, we've definitely talked about don't be a fucking asshole. She says it a lot nicer than I do. This is a long-winded post, so don't be surprised. All right, I'm ready. So it seems to be a widely accepted theory that Rune and Lydia are mates. They seem to connect very quickly, and we also get a lot of mate wording imagery such as thread, a tug, etc. Things that SJM is infamous for when describing the mate bond. Generally, I don't see any theories disputing this canon. Neither do I. I I. I really don't see anything at all. I think that they truly are mates, especially just with their connection with the bridge and how... Whenever he got knocked out by the Reapers and she immediately was able to find him in that dreamscape and Hosab. I think they truly are connected on that mate level. Okay. So we tend to hear some arguments for other theories about the mate bonds in the different worlds that Midgard must be different, i.e. magic is different on Midgard. Mates wouldn't present the same as they do in Prithian or Aurelia. Yet we see here that Rune pictures a thread when connected with her for the first time. And then Lydia is able to tell Rune is in danger when the Reaper snatched him. Oh, look at me. I didn't even... (laughs) Me and Nanche being on the same page here. Lydia was capable of sensing danger for Rune even when they didn't really know each other or have feelings. And then it's imagined a thread running from it down along this mental bridge out toward another end. And then it's, I have no idea what happened to you or how I found your mind. I simply felt. I don't know what I felt, but the bridge was suddenly there. I think you're in grave danger wherever you are. And that was 
Lydia to Rune whenever he was knocked out by the Reaper. In Rune's POV, we don't ever hear him say that she is his mate, though from the way SJM describes it, it seems like it will happen in one of the next books, assumedly. Can we all agree on how dumb but sweet like a toddler Rune is? It's probably why SJM calls him little baby Rune. (laughs) He just hasn't picked up on it yet. It's okay. He'll get there. We also find out that Danica and Baxian are mates and they want to keep it hidden and want to find a world where they could be in it. There's also a little weird tidbit of information about the fact that Sabine and Mordok had Danica and didn't want anyone to find out. Coupled with what Regalia says about how Danica should not have the powers she does, weird thing to say, but okay. So we then see that Rune says in his POV that based on their sense mingling, Bryce and Hunt must be mates. However, we see that the Autumn King keeps asking about have Bryce and Hunt consummated because her scent hasn't changed. Last my spies reported, she does not have, she does not bear his scent. So I can only assume they have not consummated their relationship. And she literally has mate in consummated highlighted. Foreshadowing, maybe question mark. We see with Bryce and Hunt that Bryce cannot sense when Hunt is in danger, nor can she feel his pain. Even after choosing to say they are mate, they do not, not that I have found, mention a thread or internal gut tug towards each other the same way other mates have in the series. As a side note, Ethan does remark that he felt a gut tug towards her. Just saying. So we see a completely different imagery between the relationship between Rune and Lydia versus Hunt and Bryce. Hunt's lightning had stopped. Where was he? Would a mate know? Would a mate feel? And then underneath it, it said, yes, a mate would know and a mate would feel. (laughs) (laughs) And before I hear the argument about Bryce and Hunt's scent mixing means they are mates in the face sense back to Rune, not even knowing who his own mate is. Here is Reese talking about Feyre in regards to how she smells after living with him slash having sex. And then I saw the plate and felt the glamour, and there you were, living in my second most enemy's house, dining with him, reeking of his scent, looking at him like like you loved him. Now, I get it. Lots of people don't want Bryce and Asriel to happen. A lot of people are convinced Bryce and Hunt are in-game. Let's get something out of the way, because the rest of the post will definitely have lots of controversial theories. So, settle down over there, gal pal. SGM has included for our enjoyment a few paragraphs detailing the different types of mate. Hunt also explains that saying they are mates is like being married for angels. So what other sense is there? Yeah, the wolf sense. There are several definitions of the term mate, though Bryce supposed that to Ethan, to a shifter, only one mattered, one's true lover predestined by Erd. The Fae had a similar concept. A mate was a bond deeper than marriage and beyond an individual's control. The angels, she knew, used the term far more lightly. For the Malachim, it was akin to a marriage, and matings could be arranged, like breeding animals in a zoo. Yep. And then, here we have Hunt explaining his thoughts on mates. He recognizes that Fae have a soul magic bond— Instead, they call life partners mates instead of husband or wife. Angels have mates, not as soul magic-y as the fae, but we call life partners mates in lieu of husbands or wives. Okay, cool. So maybe that means they just see each other as their spouse, right? Maybe another time Hunt lifted her foot to his mouth, pressing a kiss to the instep. So we're like married. 
Are we? She held out a hand before her, studying her splayed fingers. I don't see a ring, Athalar. Nope. Bryce shuts it down. Hunt goes on to say, I'll get you a ring. How romantic? Not really. He doesn't even ask her to marry him. (laughs) Well, she's really hammering down on that. SJM refuses to explain what kind of mates they are before she says they are mates. And then her body language indicates she starts lying or giving a half truth, including looking down, fidgeting, wildly gestulating with her hands. I was, I was like gesturing, but just, just gestulating. I don't know. I don't know. Wildly gesturing with her hands. These are all signs of covering something up, all easy to Google if you don't have the training to detect lies. Her website also says she does not ever confirm endgame. In fact, the same interview she also throws out there if both of them make it until the end. And it's literally the Christina Lauren interview. So Christina Lauren asks, is Hunt really Bryce's mates? Like really, really? SGM, I will say yes, he is her mate. They are mates. And when I was creating this series, I knew how TOG and Akatar went with the romance. She didn't end up with the first guy. And with this one, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a real doozy on everyone. I'm going to have her love interest here be the one at the end if they both make it to the end. A real doozy if they don't make it to the end is... (laughs) She also lied beautifully about how much she loved writing Tamlin scenes and her husband said he was team Tamlin. I was literally about to bring that up. Like she lied on the book tour of Akatar. So it wouldn't give Akamaf away. Yeah. And then it has, he was chatty and I asked questions like what team is he in Akatar? And he said he's team Tamlin. I also asked if sometimes he feels like Sarah writes about him in an, include his character traits into one of the characters. And he said, so far, Sarah won't do that yet. And if she does, he would notice, which he's literally talking about Reese, but he can't talk about Reese. Mm -hmm. So realistically, SGM is not going to ruin a plot twist and say, nah, Bryce and Hunt are in game or say, nah, Bryce and Hunt don't make it. She's going to answer with half truth and deflect, which she does. I did think she acted weird about that. I was trying to be in denial. Not to mention, Bryce asks Hunt to wait to have sex. Our boy Hunt is thirsting for sex constantly in his POVs. That's all he thinks about. And then when the hind finds them on the submarine, he goes all avenging God, and Bryce has no choice but to give in and have sex with him. Bryce had to protect her friends and family. Their first time was coerced because Hunt couldn't control himself and was ready to fry everyone on the submarine. But it also reminds me of something that happens with Tamlin, where he has no control over himself. Tonight, Tam will allow... Great and terrible magic to enter his body, Lucian said, staring at the distant fires. The magic will seize control of his mind, his body, his soul, and turn him into the hunter. It will fill him with sole purpose to find the maiden. From their coupling, magic will be released and spread to the earth where it will regenerate life for the year to come. The hunter, the magic, will seize control of his mind, his body, his soul, and turn him into the hunter. Hunt, Orion, the hunter. Did you just now get that? Bro, I even read it slow and enunciated. I just don't like it, okay? Okay, I'm sorry. Tamlin also becomes the enemy. Farah's lover became her enemy. 
for a while. That old shit about keeping friends close and enemies closer, it remains to be seen whether your sister is an enemy to the Fae. His ally was his enemy. His enemy was his lover. He focused on the gore splattered on her. Lydia had so much blood on her hands that there would be, there would never be any washing it away. Bryce knew no one was coming to save them, knew it was likely her fault. She could barely stand to feel Hunt's fingers against her as they walked down the long crystal hallway. Hunt reached for Bryce's fingers, but she stepped forward, lifted her chin in the defiant. We see this expert excerpt from Rune and the Autumn King talking about how Hunt is the enemy. And depending on what Bryce does, she may become the enemy to the Fae. We again see any enemy imagery when Rune and Lydia that immediately segues into Bryce not being able to stand Hunt's touch. This is after she reads about Dust Truth and Project Thur. Oh, and when Lydia whispers something in her ear. Bryce doesn't touch him again until Regilius lets them say goodbye. And what's that saying? Keep your enemies closer. I theorize Bryce found out something about Hunt and it doesn't paint him prettily. And then some Hunt as a villain theory and then another one. We don't have time for those. Time to get back to the point I'm trying to make thoroughly. It is canon that Bryce and Azrael are now connected by a 15,000 year prophecy. When knife and sword are reunited, so shall our people be. It's literally carved above the Fae Archive's entrance. Star Sword Guardian belongs to the female heir of Thea, so that means it is Bryce's, not Rune's. Rune gives it to her and says, long live the queen. Then we also see people say, well, maybe Truth Teller isn't Azrael's, except it has Illyrian runes on it. It doesn't call to Reese or Cassian. It isn't theirs. And neither one of them ever try to, you know, claim it otherwise. Canically, this is Azriel's knife. Yes, Elaine used it to stab Hyburn, but then Nesta uses it to fully kill Hyburn. A lot of theories say, well, maybe it's runes then. It isn't. The knife flares to life when it is in Azriel's hands next to Gwydian's star sword. The knife is Azriel's. We hear, oh, well, he dropped it or it never glowed before, so it must not be his. Rune tells us that the star sword itself has no power unless it is reunited with the knife. So the knife, considerably a smaller, less powerful weapon in comparison to a sword, would also not work entirely unless the sword was reunited with it. Azriel touches the star sword and has truth tellers strapped to his side, and it still doesn't glow. Yes, when Azriel touches the knife, it finally starts to glow. And yes, he drops it. I'm sure you would too if something you had possessed for centuries flares with light in answer to a myth- mythical sword that just fell when an alien fell from the sky. Mm-hmm. It was its twin. The star sword began to hum within its sheath, glittering white light leaking from where leather met the dark hilt, the dagger, the male dropped the dagger to the plush carpet. All of them retreated as it flared with dark light as if in answer to Alpha and Omega. We also see Bryce mentioning that maybe there is a knife out there for her. We received lots of imagery about the sword being part of a pair or that the sword doesn't work without the knife. Much like Bryce, she is unable to fully use her powers as if she's being blocked or held back. Yes, Hunt can charge her up, but it doesn't last. And then in House of Earth and Blood, Rune shook his head. The sword doesn't work like that. Aside from being picky about who draws it out, the sword has no power without the knife. The knife, Hunt asked. Rune drew the sword, the metal whining, and laid it on the table between them. Bryce leaned back away from it as a bead of starlight sang down the fuller and sparkled at the tip. Just the tip. 
house of sky and breath. What if there's a knife out there for me, but beyond that, what's Erd playing at? Or is it Luna? What's the end goal? The sword was the sword. <laughs> Jesus. The sword was part of a pair. Rune said to him, a long bladed knife was forged from the iridium mined from the same meteorite, which fell from our old world. The world, the Fae had left to travel through the Northern rift and into Midgard, but we lost the knife eons ago. Even the Fae archives have no record of how it might have been lost, but it seems to have been sometime during the first wars. And then we know the prophecy. Yet we see good old Autumn King, Einar, tell Rune to keep the sword away from his sister, as if the man knows something is up with her and the sword. He also goes on to say Bryce is just letting Rune possess it. I'm curious as to why the Autumn King would rather not learn about what comes of her union with the Umber Mortis. Back to my actual theory. I theorize while Bryce is in Prithian, she will unlock her full potential. Which, I mean, I hope she does. Get it, girl. So now that we have cleared that up... (laughs) Let's move on to the fact that Bryce was yanked sideways while falling through space and time, which I know you have a lot of feelings about a lot of feelings about. We have seen a lot of pieces about yanking tugging when it comes to a mate bond and one mate trying to get the attention of the other. It is then a theory. I am happy to present to you. You don't have to be so fucking smug about it. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, Nanche. She's just in her feels. It's real late. That Asriel felt Bryce in the space of darkness and wind that he teleports Winnows through and recognizing her as his mate yanks her to Prithian. She fell slowly and without end and sideways, not a plunge down, but a yank across. And so then Reese in regards to Feyre. Oh, okay. So yeah, she starts falling and then boom, yoink. That's literally what Nanche put under the she fell slowly and... And then for Reese in regards to Feyre, there you are. I've been looking for you. His first words to me, not a lie at all, not a threat to keep those fairies away. Thank you for finding her for me. Oh, kind of similar to has multiple mates throughout the books might yank or tug on their own mate bond to communicate something, to push their mate to do something. And yes, I checked. Nothing between Hunt or Bryce is ever described as a gut tug, a yank, a thread, a golden bond, etc. No verbiage is that is used elsewhere for mates like this. But there was a thread, I said, a tether, and I yanked on it. And that's Farah talking about Reese. But I grabbed that bond between us and I tugged. I willed you to hold on to stay with me. But the tug yanked again in my mind, my gut, a summoning. But back to Bryce falling into Prithian and meeting Asriel. He's Asriel, spymaster, assassin, torturer. Except he's exceedingly gentle. Wait, this is Asriel, the torturer? With the alien... Covered in someone else's blood with an ancient sword falling through wards that shouldn't be able to be broken, speaking a foreign language, we also see a very similar theme that it seems as if Azrael is scenting the blood to make sure she isn't hurt. Much like every mate does, checking to verify they are whole. Instead, he brings Bryce home to meet the family. Noted that the blood covering her was not her own. When the inner circle first meets Bryce, we see some interesting reiterations of other language regarding mates, such as when Amran first meets Bryce, she says something that has Cassian sniffing, much like how Amran sniffed Feyre and realized Feyre was Reese's mate. That's what I'm, I'm literally pulling up the end of Sky and Breath to see what, what all went down. The dark-haired one turned to the others and said something that had them all angling their heads at Bryce. The swaggering male sniffed, trying to read the scent of the blood on her. Hmm. 
but that's what Bryce thinks is happening. Mm, right. She sniffed again, and I'd never felt so laid bare. Surprise lit Amron's eyes. Reese just nodded. Whatever that meant. I was tired already, tired of being assessed and evaluated. And that's from Farah's point of view. This connects to my other two theories I've posted, scent theory and Midgard theory. And why I'm convinced Asriel is actually Bryce's faded fame mate. But then we also see Asriel, who often refuses to touch people, touch Bryce seven times in one chapter. For reference in Akamath, he touches Feyre three times and more four times. In 1,275 pages, he basically touches no one in Akafas other than his brothers. Now, granted, I haven't taken the time to analyze Akawar or Akasif, but we can all recognize that Azrael is acting different around Bryce, not to even mention two of those times he is holding her hand. Holding her hand. Some assassin and spymaster, eh? Eh? Okay, sorry. Also, she's, I don't know, she says he was beautiful when she sees his face. Which I'm sure he is. I had so That's exactly what Feyre says, too, though. Mm-hmm. Why didn't he carry her off to torture question her immediately? Sure, he can't speak her language. He could have just had Reese join him. Why did the inner circle seem to be confused as to why they are all there? As a way to debunk the Elaine has a vision theory. Why was Azriel there so fast, faster than winnowing, almost as if he was already there? Could that mean he knows they are mates? That's what I believe, says Nanche. Could it be something else? We don't know. Sure, it's anyone's guess. We do not get any information about Bryce's star, Azriel's shadows, Azriel's scenting her, Azriel's reaction to her speaking in the old language. All curious things for SJM to omit. All right, there it is. Most controversial theory post. Please try not to, please try not to enjoy yourselves too much while downvoting. Truly, <laughs> that's not good rhetoric. And then it says, disclaimer, not all of these thoughts and ideas were found created by me, Nanche. Some were a small percentage, but my friends contributed so much to this theory. So while I'm writing all of these into one post to post it, the credit belongs to them and I have received their permission to post. Please direct all hate towards me and leave my friends alone. And she has not named those friends. So unfortunately, I can't give them any credit. And then six days ago, our girl, Emmy, commented, I love this so much. You also bring up a point that often isn't mentioned here. Azriel's shadows appear to be completely absent when he meets Bryce. Bryce doesn't mention them once, despite always noticing Cormac and Rune's shadows. Interestingly, if you look at SJM's old, now deleted Pinterest board, she had multiple romantic images tagged as Azriel and more. Given that, plus the mate language used in Akamath, it's widely accepted in the fandom that SGM originally intended to make Azrael and more endgame mates before retconning this and switching things up in Akawar. But if we go with that train of thought that As and more were originally endgame and the proof of this is Akamath, it's interesting to note that in Akamath, Azrael's shadows always lightened and or disappeared around more. For example, yes, Azrael, who kept a step away, whose shadows trailed him and seemed to fade in her presence. It was almost enough to distract me from noticing Azrael as those shadows lightened and his gaze slid over Moore's body. Putting two and two together, Azrael's shadows seemingly fade disappeared in Bryce's pe- presence, just as they did for Moore and Akamath. We then also have these connections between Azrael and Moore and Akamath. It's said that Moore's family once ruled the prison island. 
in the same book, Azrael says this. Azrael just shook his head. I'll go. The prison sentries know me, what I am. Yes, as per Hosab, not only do we have confirmation that the prison island is almost certainly the dust court, but it's now heavily intertwined with Bryce's narrative and a key aspect of the Bryce and Azrael theory. Two, it's also speculated that the reason Azrael's knife is called Truth Teller is because Moore has the power of truth, and that was further proof of Az and Moore being endgame. However, now Truth Teller has been heavily connected to Bryce's story, with it being twin to Bryce's sword and part of ancient fae prophecy. When knife and sword are reunited, so shall our people be. Three, lastly, I'd put forward the argument that Bryce and Moore are very similar characters. I feel like that we've touched on that a little bit. Like, maybe just in passing. Either that or we've had side conversations about it. Not only personally wise, or not only personality wise, they're both listed as ESFP on personality database, if anyone's into that. But even physically, they're both described in the exact same way, minus the hair coloring. She has, here's a comparison photo, one of many, also featuring featuring Azrael, and she's made it so small. Um, more wore a gown of pure white, little more than a slip of silk that showed off her generous curves. Indeed, a glance over her shoulder revealed Asriel staring blatantly at the back view of it. Cassian and the stranger already too deep in conversation to notice what had drawn the spy master's attention. For a moment, the ravenous hunger on Asriel's face made my stomach tighten. Bryce Quinlan leaned against the large ironwood desk in the center of the space, her snow-white dress clinging to every generous curve and dip. Hmm. So it leads me to wonder, did SJM take what she planned with Asriel and more instead and switch to Asriel and Bryce? However, people will then tell me that Asriel's already busy with Elaine and Gwen. TOG spoilers, which is exactly what people used to say about Dorian and Kale when Rowan was introduced. Don't look at me like that. But we have to consider all of this from Asriel's POV. A beautiful woman from another world lands at his feet with a sword that's the matching half to his most prized knife. A knife that then starts to glow in answer to her sword. A knife that glows with dark light. Just like Asriel's own shadows, which kind of pairs back again to the conversation about like Narbin being made from something dark not necessarily meaning evil, but meaning like shadows and light. That was my connection. Not I'm going to take credit for that one Uh, to show her sword that glows with a bright white light, just like Bryce's starlight. Wouldn't Azrael think twice about this? Wouldn't you, if you were in his shoes? And if this scene had been written about Gwen or Elaine and they had a sword that was matching half to Azrael's knife, wouldn't it be used as very solid evidence that their ship would be endgame? Yeah. I will say that the end of Hosap here, Mm -hmm. the winged male swept his gaze over her, assessing and wary, noted that the blood covering her was not her own. So like, how does he note that? With his eyeballs? Did he smell her? With that's his my, eyeballs, that's what I'm thinking. Went, no, I'm thinking he smells her. Yeah, and he's recognizing. And then it says, which this is talking about the star sword. His attention drifted to the star sword lying in the grass between them. His eyes widened slightly, which is like what Feyre kind of says about Reese too, doesn't it? His eyes like. Yeah, yeah. He has this reaction of like, she feels like he's seen something that she's not. Mm-hmm. Again, the book is literally called Flame and Shadow. Bryce has the flaming red hair of the autumn court. 
She has the bright light. And then Azriel is literally shadows. I'm just saying. I got I got nothing else besides that. And I would love if Bryce and Hunt are in game, but this was a very compelling Azriel Bryce. It was a different take on how that mate process works and comparing it to the others. Because yeah, Lydia and Rune, if we're gonna look at the CC books, that's that's pretty straightforward. Where we literally had to ask in an interview, are Bryce and Hunt mates? And so now you're mad. I'm just a little sad, that's all. I know. Sad, mad? Mad, sad? Sad first, then a little mad? Not at me, though, right? No. Okay. I don't think. I don't know. (laughs) It's late, and you just... I'll let you sleep on it. So now I'm going to cut you loose. I'm going to let you linger on that, and... uh, I mean, I'm really just not going to let you mull over it. I got to rip the Band-Aid off for you. What are you going to do in 24 days at this point? Because we started the record at 25 days, and then we're ending it at 24 days. And we're ending it, and your girl's got to get up in four hours. It's 2 a.m., guys. 2 a.m., and she called me because I'm still awake. I am. I am still awake. I'm sorry. It was very compelling. I I went through that blindly with you. I did really did not know how that outcome was truly going to happen. What am I supposed to do with my book bow with Bryce and Hunt on it? Well, we, we only bad guy. We only leave with the the. You can only use it on the first two books. You can't use it because <laughs> I also have that one. That's also why, though, I don't get any of like the Hunt and Bryce like art or any of that. <laughs> That's literally the only thing of that that I I bought for me and you. You still have to use it. I'm just sad as all. I know. I think she's going to do us dirty. Probably. She hasn't really done us too, too dirty. And she did lie out her ass about Tamlin. And also, Aelin had two boyfriends before Rowan. She's probably like, you know what? Everyone always says I won't kill my darlings. Well, look at this. And she's going to execute Hunt. She's like, fuck you guys. I'm not killing Reese because that's my literal husband. Like a fictional depiction of my husband. I'm not killing him. And Rowan's my husband, so she can't... I told Casey that Rowan was my book husband, and he said, I don't know what that means, but I'm not even worried about it. I was like, good job. He said, stop fucking up my algorithm on TikTok (laughs) (laughs) with your book shit. (laughs) So I got a laugh out of you. So that's where we're going to end this. Because you got to go home and go to bed. I got to go down the hallway and go to bed. And I have to yell at children in the morning. Don't be mad. I'm, I just can't. Okay. Okay. So thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Oh. <laughs> I tried. Uh. All right. Well, Olivia's in a lot of pain. Follow the show on Instagram and TikTok at A Court of Theories. You can follow us on our personal pages. Slide into our DMs or email us your theories at theories at gmail.com. Rate, review, and subscribe. Give us a five-star review and tell us what you love about A Court of Theories. And if you don't love the podcast, keep it to yourself. Love you. Bye. Okay. Love you. Bye. (laughs) God, I'm so distraught.